Welcome to Downton. Hello there. Emma speaking. Welcome to Shall We Go Through, the Downton Abbey fan podcast. What? 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 Hi everyone. I hope you're all doing well and I hope that you are ready to start season three of Downton Abbey with me today. I'm really excited because well, there's so many things happening this season. Like I said last episode, I think we have more angst in this season than we had in season two. But it's like really angsty episodes. If you have already watched the show, you know which episode I'm talking about. I am not ready to talk about these episodes, but it's not for today. Because today we're going to talk about the first episode of season three that I called the one with Mary and Matthew's wedding because they are finally getting married. We ended last episode with the proposal. So obviously they had to get married at some point, like they had to. So uh, let's just start, shall we? Before talking about the wedding, let's talk about Bates and Anna because well, Bates, we're not Hank. We're happy about that, but he's still in jail. And actually, at the beginning of the episode, Anna is not here. She and Mrs. Hughes are in London to tidy up Bates' house. So the house that he had with his wife that now, where that was his. And he transferred it to Anna before going to jail. So now it's her house too. And they actually talk about it in a servant hall. Because, well, Thomas, Thomas says that he finds it odd that she could keep the house because he's a convicted murderer. And... Carson said, well, let me just remind you that in this house, we believe that Bates is innocent. So, you know, if you think differently, you can go eat in the yard. <laughs> I mean, you know, even if Thomas was like quite relieved that Bates was not sentenced to death, but it's still Thomas. Okay? <laughs> he's still not a big fan of the guy, especially because now he's Robert's valet. But when Bates will come back, I mean, when they have managed to prove that he's innocent, he will lose his job. So, yeah. But then Anna and Mrs. Hughes, they're back. And I thought it really sweet that Mrs. Hughes came with her. I already said that I love her relationship with Anna, but I love Mrs. Hughes. So I thought it was really sweet. And then she goes to see Bates in prison. And she said to him that she found an address book when she tied the house. So an address book of Vera. And she wants him to note who are the people in the address book. So if, if there's families or friends, or relations, tradesmen, work, something. And he doesn't know why she wants to do that. But she's like, well, it's an ID and maybe we not work. And my next idea, maybe we not work. But one day I will find something that will work. And then we will prove that you are innocent because I know that you are. And Arvin, when he asks her, Do you never doubt for just one minute? I wouldn't blame you. No, I don't doubt that the sun will rise in the east either. I like it that now she stay positive because, you know, she was not really last episode pleased by the fact that he was life imprisonment. But then I think now she realized that it's much better than being sentenced to death. So she is working really hard to find the proof that he's innocent. And so then she's back to see Bates again. And uh, so he says that he, he did what she asked, but he doesn't really understand what can come out of it. And she says that she cannot believe that Vera never told anyone that she was going to kill herself. So she wants to know, maybe a friend, she might have wrote a letter to someone. I mean, I don't know, but I want to know because she didn't leave a note. And Bates says, well, 
why are you sure that it's suicide and not murder? And I mean, I'm with Anna on that, which is, but what's the alternative? I know you didn't kill her and like, what, someone broke in, like cooked the pie and forced her to eat it? Like, yeah, it doesn't seem really plausible. So the only other option is suicide, which would be very twisted. Like to commit suicide, to make sure that he would be charged guilty and then sentenced to death. I think that was the plan. I think it's really, really twisted, but that's the only option because, yeah, I don't know how it could be murder if it's not Bates. So, yeah. But Bates, he told Anna that he had a new cellmate and that he didn't really like him. So then we see the two of them together. And yeah, the guy doesn't seem really nice. And he says to Bates that it won't work. He's trying to do so, trying to prove that he's not guilty. And then Bates, he uh, warns him, like, just like, leave me alone. And at that moment, you have scary Bates that is back. Yes, because I think Bates, he has a really, really dark side. Like we saw it with Vera, but he has something that really dark and sometimes a bit scary. And so in prison, Scary Bates is back. Then Anna, when she's back to see him, they talk about life at Downton. Like he asks, well, how's the wedding going? And she's like, well, you don't care about all that. I say, well, yes, of course I care. Like, I mean, I have no news here. I mean, <laughs> I'm in prison. Like I have nothing to tell you. So yes, I just want to know what how's life like at home. And then they talk about the honeymoon and Anna says that, she will hire a maid for Lady Mary because she doesn't want to go to the south of France with her because she doesn't want to leave Bates for so long. And he says, well, no, you should go. Like the point was that you will live life. He said that to her last episode. He said, promise me that you will live life because he said, well, you have to live mine as well as your own. So go enjoy the south of France and maybe you'll be away for a month, but at least we will have something to talk about when you're back. And I love it. Like, like Bates and Anna, basically, their scenes is just them in prison. Her seeing him in prison or him in prison. And that must have been really hard when they had to shoot those scenes because then Brandon Coy, he was alone <laughs> in prison and he had no contact with anybody else except John Froggart. So Anna, like, yeah, that must have been really lonely and sad a bit. <laughs> oh yeah, let's just hope and pray that he will not stay in jail too long. And just about Anna, something that I've noticed in this episode, I'm saying it now before I forget. She has a new dress and a new apron. And I don't know why. At first, I thought it was because she was she would be Lady Mary's lady's maid. But she's not yet because Lady Mary is not married yet. So I don't know, but she, yeah, she has a new dress and a new apron. So maybe they just changed because uh, we're in 1920s, so we changed the dresses and the aprons of the maids because you know the times have changed i don't know but i, I just noticed it was different now let's talk about robert because well i think i truly believe that robert at the end of uh, you know the christmas special he really was out of depression i think he was really like starting if he was not completely out he really started to be better you know because with Cora, everything was fine, you know, in the end. Why it was better. You know what I said? Happiness is boring. So uh, we can't keep him happy for more than like two minutes. Yeah, now it's not just about Bates and Anna that happiness is boring. It's about everybody. You know, just this is like, I think this is like a, a motto for any TV show. Happiness is boring. So every time you think they're happy, you know 
at some point something will happen and that Robert he starts the season right like poor him so what happens to him he's on the phone we don't know what he's about but he says it can't be as bad as that so something happens and you see his face and Mary she asks him what's the matter and he's like what nothing the way he says it like okay something happened when he's in Cora's bedroom she talks to him but doesn't really listen to her you see that he's elsewhere and so he just yeah he hear what she says but he doesn't really listen it's like oh yeah yeah okay do whatever you want like yeah that sounds good and so he tells her that he will go to London the next morning but he will come straight back and so well obviously Cora's like but why say well it's nothing to trouble you with because obviously (laughs) when there is trouble like really this it annoys me like the it's nothing to trouble you with but anyway let's just say that at that point he doesn't want to worry her for something that he's not really sure okay i give him that and so next day he's in london in murray's office so you know something is bad because he is in the office of his lawyer and apparently he made a bad investment he put money in the railway company but the company he put the money in is about to be declared bankrupt so well that's not really good for him so they talk together and he says, but why did we put that much money in it? And the lawyer is like, but you insisted that we should put that much. Obviously, the plan was I put a lot of money in it so that when the railway will expand, when everything works, I will have much, 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 much more money, which will help downtown. At first, it's not a really bad plan. The only issue is, obviously, for that to work and then to, you to gain more money, you have to put a lot of money first. And that is where it's where it can be a bit dangerous because if you put too much money in it and then well like what happens the company has been declared bankrupt while you have lost a lot of money and it's exactly what happens and so he lost cora's money you know the fortune that she brought when she got married to robert but he lost it so that's nice well we know that without this money the estate would be well i think they would have sell it because it would be ruined so the fact that he lost her money, it's complicated. He even said that estate like Downton are slowly falling to the ground after the war. So, well, it doesn't sound good. And he says, I won't give in, Murray. I've sacrificed too much to Downton to give in now. I refuse to be the failure. The Earl who dropped the torch and let the flame go out. Because obviously, Robert he has been raised to be the Earl of Grantham, to be like this kind of um, king of this little kingdom. And he doesn't know anything else except that. No one wants to be the one who is out. No one wants to be the failure. And so obviously he says, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to be the one that just, no, like it's not possible for him because he doesn't know what else to do. You know, he's always lived at Downton. He was raised to be the next Earl of Grantham. Like what will we do next, you know? And Murray tells him, yeah, but if you don't have enough money to run it, you can't keep it. Like, it's, you know, not very difficult to understand. You know, if you, maybe if you say it piece by piece, maybe you can survive a bit. Like, you know, but there's no real solution. And Robert says, I have a duty beyond saving my own skin. The estate must be a major employer and support the house or there's no point to it, to any of it. And I, I like that he says, I have a duty beyond saving my own skin. Like, because he doesn't only think about him, he thinks about everybody else on the estate. Because in the estate, you have tenants, you have a lot of people that are, you even have all the servants that are in the house. Like, if you have to say the estate, where will they go? For him, it's, a, it's his duty, but I think he's also concerned. Like, where we decided, Robert is a really 
Karimena Jubri that he is concerned about the welfare of his servants and, and people that live on the estate. So right now, he's not really in a good place. So, um, you know, depression coming back a bit like, oh, hey, are you happy? Well, you know, let's just give you a bad news. <laughs> and then when he's back at Downton and he learns that there's a new footman, he's like, what? <laughs> excuse me, um, what? I don't have enough money to run the estate. Like, we, we can't hire people. And so he talks about it with Cora when, when they come down the stairs. And he says, no, why nobody told me about the new footman? He's like, what? We talked about it last night in my room. That's the moment where he was completely elsewhere. He didn't listen to her. And he's like, oh, um, well, nobody must be taken on until things are settled. His face, you see anxiety on it. And Cora's like, but what are you talking about? And obviously, she sees that he doesn't seem really well, so she's worried, but again, doesn't want to say anything because doesn't want to worry her. It's a pattern. Robert tends to do that a lot, you know? Not saying to his wife things because doesn't want to worry her. But he thinks it's because doesn't want to worry her, but it's actually is worrying her that he looks worried and that he doesn't want to share what is making him worried. I don't know if that makes any sense, but anyway. And so then he uh, actually say something to change the conversation. He says, well, How's the wedding going? I guess it's costing the earth. And Cora says, Mary was never going to marry on the cheap. Oh, no. Nothing must be done on the cheap. The way he says that already, you can feel like in his brain, it's like, how am I going to pay for that? Because, well, there's no money anymore. Like, this is, oh my God, <laughs> trouble. And then during dinner, they talk about servants, like, because, so you have this new footman, we're going to talk about him later. And Carson said, well, I, would love to have a second footman. And Robert's like, hmm, don't talk about that. I don't have the money for. And Matthew's like, well, but I think we should live a simpler life with less servants. And Isabel, obviously, she agreed with him. And Robert, he says, Always supposing we have the choice. Uh, again, and he says that, you know, with his face, like, <laughs> you see, the guy is not well. <laughs> because obviously, if he had the choice, no, he would not, he will have a second footman, a third footman, 20 footmen, whatever. But he, where well, at that moment, he doesn't really have it. And obviously, just to twist the knife, Violet, she says, Who didn't say that? It's our job to provide employment. An aristocrat with no servants is as much use to the county as a glass hammer. Oh my God, I really feel for Robert because I was like, oh God, <laughs> like really, come on. Like his mother just saying to him, like, if you have no servants, you're useless. And he's like, well, I already feel useless and I feel really like a fool. So um, yeah, thank you, mother, to um, cheer me up. Or I said, Violet is the best to cheer you up. But then, thank God he has his wife. Because then they're together in her room and he tells her what happened. I love this scene. So she's asking the question, but you see that he has trouble answering. And so she asks him, but has some of my fortune been lost? And then he looks at her, he has tears in his eyes and he says, well, all, well, almost all. And he starts crying. And Cora, she goes to him and she's just the sweetest person ever, okay? Like he's crying and she's the one comforting him. And well, she goes to him and she says, Oh my dear, terrible for you. It's not so good for you. <laughs> Don't worry about me, I'm an American. I have gun will travel. Oh, thank God for you. Anyway. You know what? I'm glad we have a wedding to celebrate. Let's make sure it's a great day. If it's to be our last, let's make it a wonderful last. 
enjoy our lovely home and the lovely people we spend our life among. And then they hug. But like this scene is just so... I mean, the way she looks at him with so much love in her eyes, like, oh. And when he says, thank God for you anyway, like, oh. I love this scene because a part of me thinks that at that moment, when Robert has to tell her that he lost her money, a part of him thinks that she's going to leave him because he keeps saying that he's still ashamed of the reason why he married her because he married her for her money that he just lost. And I think a part of him is still insecure, even if she has shown him a lot that she's really in love with him and that she will not leave, you know. But I think he's still insecure about all that because I think he's insecure about himself. You know, he feels like at the moment he's really bad because he feels like he's, well, he was stupid to do what he did. I don't know. And it's the second time we see him cry. The first time was when he lost his unborn son. And so it's the first time that he cries with Cora. And I love the fact that she is confronting him. Like he's even shocked. Like, okay, so you're not sad. I lost your money. We're going to lose the house. Like, oh, just the thank God for you anyway. It's just like, really, you see in his eyes, like, <gasps> you know, because I think, yes, he's afraid of losing the house and everything. But I think he was even more afraid to lose her. So having her on his side, I mean, with her on his side, he can overcome anything. So, yeah, I just love it. Because, obviously, I mean, maybe I thought that she would be a bit cross, but I never thought that she would hate him. Like, she loves him so much. But I love this scene. I love the fact that, yeah, she doesn't even cry. She's like, oh, that's sad for you. <laughs> like, oh, oh, she's the best. And, well, actually, uh, Julian made a comment for this scene. Very interesting comment. So I will read it to you. He says... The point of this scene, I suppose, is to make it clear that this marriage has long passed the point where Cora's money is a principal factor. The fact that they've lost it, which is very sad, is not actually going to alter their relationship in any way, which I think it was necessary to make clear. She also has a different perspective. She's not an English landed tough, and the fact that they're going to sell the house and move to another house is not the end of the world for her. She's mainly sorry for him. I think this is the perfect summary of this scene. She's sorry for him. You know, she also had money, but I think Cora would be happy anywhere if she's with Robert and her girls. Like, I think that's what she wants in life. So living downtown, like I said, she's sorry for him because she knows how downtown means to him. When they hug, like, it's... Oh, I love it. I love that he cries and she comforts him. Like, when she looks at him, like, oh, I already said it. But I like it because, you know, last episode I said, yes, they're all right. But that, at that moment, that could have been... A reason for them to argue and not be all right anymore but actually they're still all right like yes and then in the scene they're together in the library and they talk about what happened at dinner we will talk about this dinner later what happened at dinner they talk about the money and he says that he wants to say to marry before the wedding but i love it because they're really they're chatting like casually that they're really like sitting together talking together and it's exactly how they used to be before the war i really love it and Crush is so cute. Well, she's cute, like, all the time. But, like, I don't know. In this, I think she's very cute. And, yeah. And I just love it that the chat, like, they used to do, like, that means they are really all right. And that's great. Because there might be a moment in this season where they would definitely not be all right. Bananas. But then, like, like Robert said, he comes to see Mary to tell her about the fact that he lost the money. And what happens next with Mary and Matthew? We're going to talk about that when we talk about them. But now with the consequences of the fact that Robert has no money. If you remember last episode, Daisy, she said that she wanted to be a proper assistant cook. But she's upset because 
She is called Miss Parkmore's assistant, but there's no kitchen maid anymore. And so if there's no kitchen maid, she's not officially an assistant cook, like because she has to do the work of what the assistant cook and the kitchen maid. She's upset. And she talks about it with Thomas, like the worst thing to do. And he suggests her to go on strike. Well, she, again, starts rebelling. And Miss Parkmore, she tells her, well, you should go to bed. She's like, well, I'm going to bed when I'm ready. And she's like, okay. Have you swapped places with your evil twin? She says, well, you promised a kitchen maid. Where is my kitchen maid? And Miss Parkmore said, well, I'm sorry, but I talked to Mr. Carson about this today. We're not taking new people on right now. I don't know why. I don't know how Mr. Carson managed to have a footman, but that's what they said. Obviously, because Robert, no money, so he can't take a kitchen maid. And she's angry. And Miss Papmore tries to tell her, but you are called my assistant now and you have more money. So, I mean, that's great. You've still kept me here with a dishonest representation. Oh, dear. Have you swallowed a dictionary? Oh, my God, I love Mrs. Papmore. I, I think I say that every episode, but I love Mrs. Papmore. Then Daisy, she talks with Alfred, the new footman, and O'Brien. And Alfred actually tells her that he wanted to work in the kitchen. But um, his mother says that he would better be off as a butler. You know, and O'Brien says, well, because it's it's a tough job, you know, being like a proper chef, you know, because to every big chef, there's young boys that are taking orders from a cross and red-faced old woman. And at that moment, Mrs. Patmore comes in. <laughs> and I said, well, who are you talking about? And like, oh, uh, I haven't seen you there. Well, obviously. And uh, well, then she's like, well... <laughs> I mean, you're right, I should be a butler because I know that I would love to be the one to give the orders. And Mrs. Palmore says, well, to across a red-faced old woman. Yes, I know. I just like that. She knows Daisy that much that, yeah, she's a bit, she's angry at her behavior, but now she's more just fed up and you know, gets on her nerves, but she knows her. So she knows that it might be someone who puts this idea in her head. Like, you know, she knows that it's not really Daisy. I don't know if you know what I mean. Like, she knows her. Because Daisy then, she's on strike. Like, she doesn't want to do anything. And Mrs. Papmore, she ignores her. Like, she keeps talking like she is working with her. She really ignores that Daisy just stopped working. And that goes on for a while. And Mrs. Papmore keeps doing things like nothing is happening. Like, everything's all right. Like, oh, Daisy, do you think we should start the mixture for the pudding? Yes, I think we should. Okay, thank you. You've been very helpful. Like, I love it. And then, obviously, in the end. Daisy said, well, you know, I see what you're doing, you know, not responding to my protest. <laughs> and Mrs. Patmore, well, she's not stupid. She said, well, have you been talking to Thomas? Like, you know, and Daisy, when she realized that, well, what she is doing is a bit pointless. Like, I can understand why she's upset, but like what she's doing is pointless because if they want, they could get rid of her. So she would not have a re-promotion like she wanted and she would have no jobs. At the end, she starts working again. Mrs. Patmore, she kind of has won the fight but i think doing like nothing happened is the best response to that kind of behavior but i understand daisy a bit she just takes advices from the wrong people already last episode you know just stop so then new footman carson at the beginning he has no footman because thomas he's a valet i don't understand why he doesn't act as a footman you know because he said that in the first episode Carson to Robert because when he said that he basically couldn't stay because he can't act as a footman if they need it and now Thomas is a valet but he doesn't act as footman like why don't really get it but anyway Carson he says he needs a footman and O'Brien she says that her sister is looking for a job for her son but at first Carson's like I don't want to hear about it I think the issue is that it's O'Brien <laughs> 
that has a canyon. So, uh, yeah, no, don't want to see him. And so O'Brien, you know, she doesn't accept defeat. So in Cora's room, when she's getting her ready for bed, she talks about it. She said, well, I have a candidate. And Cora's like, well, that sounds perfect. Like, you know, I ask his lordship. And then that's when Robert comes in. And so she tells Robert that Carson needs a footman. O'Brien has a candidate. So that sounds perfect. So what do you think? And he's like, you see, he doesn't listen to her. Like I said, so he's like, yeah, yeah. Whatever you want that, that's fine. So Cora is like, yay. She's pleased. And then, well, the new footman arrives. And he's very, very, very tall. Like the first scene when you see Carson looking up at him, like Carson is very, very tall. So I don't know like how tall Alfred is, but like he's a giant. If I was to be next to him, I would look like a mini voice, truly. And so he has already been taken on, but Carson is not really pleased because he didn't chose Okay, you know, he was like Alfred was imposed to him by O'Brien, so he's not really pleased about it. And Thomas, because he's Robert's father, he talks about this new footman with Robert when he's dressing him. And Robert at first like, well, what new footman? But when because obviously he didn't listen to Cora, so that's when you, know, you had a scene when together they're coming downstairs. So he had this new footman, Alfred. But O'Brien just tries to give him some confidence, like you can do it, you know. But Alfred apparently he worked in a hotel. So Carson is like, yeah, well, a hotel and a big house like Downton is not the same. And during dinner, instead of letting them serve themselves, he wants to serve, like he wants to serve Violet because that's how you do in a hotel. And she's like, oh, can I do it? And he's like, oh, yes, if you please. But like, you know, he's like, oh, yes. Like, he's really polite. Like, it's it's fine, you know. And I like what Violet says. Yeah, are, you, are you really that tall? Yes, my lady. thought you might have been walking on stilts. Oh, Violet. Oh, God. I love her. And then again, he wants to serve Robert. And was like, well, can I serve myself? It's like, oh, if you wish to. Like, well, I think everybody wants to serve themselves. But, you know, there's no harm done. He just says, well, you know, just said it. Now he knows it and everybody would serve themselves. And everything would be fine. But Carson, he sees that. He's like, where do you think you are? You're not in a hotel now. And you see Alfred, he's a bit, you see him taking a step back, like, I'm sorry. And so Isabel, she tries to save a bit of the situation. She said, oh, you train in a hotel. I'm sure this would be helpful, you know, Carson. And, you know, there's no harm done. Like, Carson, he needs to calm down. And plus, it's just the family, you know. Okay, there's Dowager and there's Isabel and Matthew. But it's, it's a close family. Like, calm down. Like, just the first impression of Alfred, I like him. Because at first, when I said it was O'Brien's nephew, like, oh, I'm not sure I like him. But now you see him, he's like, he just wants to do everything right. And then, yeah, okay, at the beginning, it was all perfectly how he was supposed to do it. But, you know, the family, no one has, were like, oh my God, I need to serve myself. Who are you? You're sacked. You know, like, Kassan is such a drama queen, like, he needs to calm down. And then O'Brien, she asked Thomas if he could give some advice to Alfred so he could be a valet. Because mostly he came one night to see the servants and he told them that Matthew doesn't want him to be his valet. Actually, Matthew doesn't want a valet at all. Mimosi was like, no, you know, it, I, I would be fine because um, I'm, I'm a butler. And Mr. Crawley said that I'm essential to Mrs. Crawley. So, you know, I would be fine. So O'Brien, she thinks maybe Alfred could be the valet for Matthew. And Thomas, I think we already knew that when she would ask her to Thomas, Thomas would not agree because it's Thomas. Like, no, Thomas is like, well, I, I mean, I went through hell to have this job. But, you know, little Alfred would just, you know, snap his finger and he would be a valet. Like, no. I mean, that was so predictable. He would say no. And so about the staff, Carson wants more staff. But Mary actually 
who wants it too. In a deleted scene, Mary, she comes to see Carson and she asks him if he would like to help her convince his lordship, Robert, that they need new people. Carson says, I need a new footman. Mrs. Papmore needs a kitchen maid. And Mary says, well, I would like Anna to be my lady's maid. So we need someone to dress Edith. So to be head housemaid and say, well, we never even replaced Jane when she left. So we need at least one more maid. And well, you know, that was before she knew that the money was gone. But so obviously the fact that Robert has lost the money, you see the repercussion of that on the servant. And you can't say that to them. You can't, you can't just say, we can't take anyone in because uh, I lost the money. So you will have to leave. You know, he can't say that because he still wants to find a solution. And no, he can't say it. So yeah, and Carson, because he absolutely wants everything to be proper, he wants his second family. But really, Alfred, I like him. If I just see this episode, I like him. He looks nice. And he absolutely do not look like his aunt. So we're happy about that. And now let's talk about the wedding. We're in the spring, 1920. At the beginning of the episode, we see Daisy in a village. And we follow her until the church. So I like that. That There's like a pattern of following Daisy somewhere. Like, you know, around the house. And we follow her until the church. And the family is in the church to rehearse for the wedding. And so in this, you have a lot of storylines involved in the wedding. You have Mary and Matthew. You have Sibyl and Brinson. You have Edith. We have Cora's mother who's coming. Like, we have a lot of storylines. But just to set the wedding, you see, like, in the village, they put decorations. Like, you see that it's really a big event. It's almost like a royal wedding for them. Because if downtown is like a little kingdom, it's almost like, yeah, the princess is going to get married. The princess and the prince, like the heir, so the future king, in a way. And the shot that I love, actually, after the rehearsal, we see Daisy coming back on her bike to the castle. And so we have the shot of Highclere. And actually, I think this scene is a parallel to the first episode of the show where we had the postman on his bike going to the castle. So I thought it was quite nice. Just about the wedding. I love it that everybody is involved in it. Like at the end, so when it's the wedding, you see Mrs. Hughes with the bridesmaid. You have Mrs. Hughes, Alfred and O'Brien, like they make sure they're in the car. Like the little girls are in the car and everything is right. In the kitchen, you see Daisy and Spapmore preparing all the food and they, and they can't go to the wedding because they need to get the food ready for when they come back. But I like it when Mrs. Spapmore says, well, you know what, we're going to see her off. It's sad that they can't be at the wedding, but it's true, like, someone needs to be there to prepare the food. So, it's sad, but they are essential. And then you have everyone in the church, you have the servants, servants in the back, and you have the family and others. And I just love Carson. Like, Carson, this is the best day of his life. Carson's like, this is a proud day, Mrs. Hughes, like, Lady Mary's getting married, like, this is the best day of my life. And, well, Mrs. Hughes, I say, well, I don't know if I'm proud. I like when she says, I'm glad that you're happy, Mr. Carson. Oh, oh these two, they're so cute. I love it. I love the, the whole thing about the wedding. It's just so pretty. Why well, is time for my French word of the day? Because, well, it's the wedding of Mary and Matthew. So I thought that this would be my French word of the day. Wedding. And in French, wedding, it's mariage. It's written M-A-R-I-A-G-E. It's actually written like marriage, but there's just one R instead of two. And it's masculine, so it's un mariage. And in French, because in English you have the words wedding and marriage, we have the same word for the, the two. Like instead of having wedding and marriage, we have mariage. It's the same one that we use. 
So yeah, very, very complicated. But like, <laughs> when it's a happy episode, I want happy words, okay? Because when the episode is going to get angsty and really sad, everything will be sad, heartbreaking, and angsty. Okay, let me warn you. Bananas. So yeah, in French, wedding and marriage is mariage. So, there's the wedding. <laughs> I think I said it a lot. We know there's the wedding. And so, let's start with Sybil and Branson. Well, Tom now. But I like calling him Branson. At the beginning, when they're in the church, we uh, learn that Sybil is not coming because they can't afford it. And Robert, he's relieved. Because Mary, at first, she wants to send them the money. Robert's like, no, it's a relief. So, if she doesn't come, the chauffeur doesn't come, everything will be fine. Elizabeth said, well, it's stupid. Who could care? I think no one cared that, that Branson would come or not. And Matthew's like, well, um, you must think country life really exciting for thinking that no one would care about an earth daughter running off with the chauffeur. And I like what Elizabeth said. Well, the fact remains, she has run off with the chauffeur and they'll have to get used to it. Yeah, it's true. Like, this is facts. She has run off with the chauffeur and now she's pregnant. So like Robert says, she crossed the Rubicon. But like, yeah, they have to get used to the fact that, yes, she's married to the chauffeur that is not a chauffeur anymore, but she's married to him. They live in Ireland. They're going to have a baby. Like, you know, it's, um, there's no return. Like, it's, it's what she wants. Like, they need to get used to it. At the Dower House, Isabel, Violet and Cora are together. I love this trio. I love it when they're together. And I talk about Sybil. And Branson. And Isabella, she says to Violet, well, I'm sure you agree with the cousin Robert. And Violet's like, no, no, you're wrong. She says the family must never be a topic of conversation. But Cora, who's um, realistic, says, well, I think Sybil might have made the Crowleys a permanent topic. You know, I mean, Mary could have made the Crowleys a you know, permanent topic with the family situation, but apparently no one knows about it. And Violet, she says, if we can show the county he can behave normally, they will soon lose interest in him. And I shall make sure he behaves normally because I shall hold his hand on the radiator until he does. She's the best. Obviously, Isabel, she's on the other side. Why should he change? I mean, it's a good addition to the family. Like, yeah, well, you know, since he's a bit against the whole uh, system, not sure he's the best addition to the family. But anyway. And Isabel then says that maybe I will send them the money. But Courage says, please no, because Robert has forbidden it. And he will be so furious if you do. But in the end, Sybil. She's coming. She sent a letter to Mary and I talk about it at dinner. I said, but what, what did you send the letter? I said, well, nothing, just that she is coming. But then they arrive and Sybil first, she comes to say hello to her father and she says, did you send the money? And so you're like, what? So now you know that they were able to come because someone gave them the money. And like when Cora, she is welcoming him when she says, hello, Tom, like, you know, welcome to Downton. And I know when he says, well, well, I hope I am welcome, your ladyship. And Mary's like, well, of course. I just love it that, you know, Cora, she's, obviously Cora would be, because she's the sweetest, she is a great hostess. So just even if she doesn't accept it, she would still stay this perfect hostess. So yeah, but I think she accepted better. Like, you know, the whole situation, she accepted it better than Robert. And the girls, they try to also stay, you know, nice. And they're like, well, it's done. They're married. So at least just accept the fact that he's her husband. And when Branson, before going to the house, he says hello to Mr. Carson, he sees that Carson is like, he does not approve at all of him being married to Lady Sybil. And Carson, he nods. Tom, at that moment, he's really like, you see that he's conflicted because he has been 
a servant, well, part of downstairs for so long, they're being upset is weird. And you see that he says hello to Mr. Carson, but not in a snobbish way, more in just hello because we knew each other, you know, well, Carson, he's like, I don't like you. And then there's the question in the seventh sort of who will be the valet of Mr. Branson. And even Monsieur's like, well, you don't really need to dress him, just make sure that he has everything he needs. And Thomas's like, I'm not doing it. Like, no way. And Carson's like, well, you know what? Usually, I do not often agree with Thomas, but at that moment, yes, I'm not doing it. So Monsieur's like, well, Alfred would do it. And Carson's like, but he would not know what to do. So, well, but someone has to do it. So it's because of that that O'Brien thinks that Alfred maybe can be a valet for Matthew because he's a valet for Tom, like a valet, you know. Big word, but, you know. And then at dinner... <laughs> Well, a complicated dinner because first, well, Tom didn't change because he doesn't have a set of tails or well, he doesn't have a lot of clothes. You know, they have a different life. Robert, when he talks about him and he talks to him, you see that he's bitter. You feel it. Violet, she's more like, she's very casual. She's like, oh, is it an Irish tradition? And the way Robert is, she means not to change, like two different kind of tones. <laughs> Violet said, well, it might have been, you know, I don't know. Which is not, like, you have the difference. And it's really, I think it's really interesting because Violet, usually, she's way more conservative than Robert. You know, usually Violet and Carson are the same side, but at that moment, they're not. Carson and Robert are on the same side, actually, in this situation. But then they talk a bit about Ireland. Branson, he's getting angry because they're like, oh, but is it wrong to keep the monarchy? <laughs> I love when Branson says, like, will it be okay to be ruled by the German Kaiser? <laughs> and Carson, then when he breaks a glass... Like, this is too much for everybody. But I just love how Cora tries to save the situation. Like, oh my god, she's the cutest. Like, is it true that Irish gardens have more variety than ours? Like, oh my god, she's such a cutie. Like, this is crisis moment. And she just comes, let's just talk about flowers, okay? Oh god. And then actually Edith, she says, oh yes, do you remember? Like, they tried to save it, but it's complicated. Cora, she's uh, so sweet. Oh, I love her. I mean, you know it, but, you know, in case you didn't. And then in the servants, well, they talk about it. And Mrs. Hill, she takes his defense. And it must be really weird, you know, for him to be up there when he used to drive them around. Like, you know, and Branson comes down to say hello, you know, and he, he just says, well, I just want to say hello because, you know, we knew each other. And Anna and Mrs. Hughes are both very friendly to, um, towards him. And Anna says, well... Are you well? You know, are you in Lady Sybil well? Says, he says yes. And he says that even he's been following the story of Mr. Bates because Mary keeps them informed. And Mrs. Hughes, she thanks him for coming downstairs. And then Carson, he's angry because Tom says Mary and not Lady Mary, even if he knows her. When you talk about someone from the family to a servant, you do not say just Mary, say Lady Mary. Carson is really upset. If he wants to play their game, then he needs to learn the rules. Which is true, but I think he's really... But Carson is usually... Carson's always black or white, you know. There's no grey area for Carson. And I like Mrs. Hughes because she's like, well, you know, he came down like... Mrs. Hughes, it's funny because Mrs. She really likes him. And Anna, she likes him. Like, you see that they like him and they can understand how it could be difficult for him. And I always said that I never was really a big fan of Tom and Sybil. Still not a big fan of Tom and Sybil, to be honest. But Tom, in this episode, I really started to like him. Because... You know, he says, I, I don't want you to think I'm getting too big for my boots. Like really, he didn't become posh or became arrogant because he married Sybil. I think he became even less arrogant than he was. I don't know. He gets on my nerves sometimes too. But yeah, I quite like him. And in the drawing room, while, you know, he's saying hello to the servants. In the drawing room, 
you have the girls and Matthew and Robert. And talk about what Tom should call them. It's a bit like, well, we need to find something different or something not too steep for Grant, you know. And Robert said, well, Lady Grantham, and he can call me Lord Grantham. And then when Sybil looks at him and says, That doesn't sound steep or grand at all. And so while they're in the drawing room, Branson, he actually went to bed. And so there was a deleted scene where Alfred is with him. But when he comes in, Tom, he's already dressed for bed, like he, you know, he did everything himself. But they talk a bit and... And at first, Tommy's like, well, do not pretend you don't like, know my story. Like, you don't have to pretend to be like a valet to like a lord or something because, you know, everybody knows my story. And Alfred's like, well, you know, I just arrived and I want to do things right. And so they have a chat and, and he says, well, you know, um, I worked in a hotel and stuff. And, and I think it was a really nice chat because I'm not saying they're the same, but they're both a bit outsiders. So they kind of uh, bonded a bit. So, you know, they kind of understand each other a bit. And then Tom says to him, it's not a bad place to work, and Lord Grantham's not a bad man, whatever you feel about the system. But remember, you weren't born to be a servant. Nobody is. And I like the fact that he keeps saying that it's not a bad place to work and that Robert is not a bad man, like he said to Sybil, you know, he's a good man and decent employer. So he's still on that. And I like it. And we have a scene that I think is very, very, very lovely between Mary and Sybil. And Sybil talks about her life in Dublin and she says, well, I'm just Mrs. Branson, you know, the title, the estate, anything, it doesn't matter. And I love it. And so obviously when you come back to it, he doesn't like it because he realized that we're not equal in terms of social classes. She says, He's a wonderful, wonderful man. I just wish you knew him. Darling, we will know him. We'll know him and value him. I promise. So I realize that Mary, she has accepted the situation, like Violet, like they have accepted it. So she even wants to get on with him because, well, I mean, she loves her sister, so she's like, well, if he's your husband, instead of just shutting him out, just, you know, make him feel like he's welcome because he's part of the family now. And actually, uh, Julian said in a comment that the issue here is that Sybil fits in at Downton because it's uh, what she has always known. But Branson, he doesn't. And what he would want deep down is for her to not fit in so that they can be together in their not fitting in. So, you know, because if you ask him, I think he would be, no, I don't want her to not fit in. But deep down, he wants because he feels alone because she comes in and obviously she always known this life. So it's easy to come back to it. But for him, it's more complicated. And then we learn that Mary says to Sybil that the Grey family is coming. And there's a Larry that apparently was keen on her before the war. So you know what the issue is and that Lord Merton is... Mary's godfather, so that's why they come, because they're here for the wedding. She talked about it with Tom. Sybil, she says, you know, we could buy you a set of tails. You know, we have the money. And she says, no, I don't want to buy tails. Like, I would get no use of it. And she says, okay, okay. And then Sybil said, but maybe you should not talk about Ireland all the time. She wants to make life easier for him. He says, what well, is easier for me or for you? And I think it's not very fair on that. You know, when he says, don't disappoint me, Sybil, not that we're here. Because she realizes that it's hard for him and she wants to make life easier for him. So I can understand that he doesn't want to change himself to please them. But like, I think it's not really nice of him to say that she wants to make life easier for her. Because her life is really easy at Downton. Like, she fits in. It's him who doesn't. So I think that was not really nice. But anyway. Then the next day, Matthew, he meets Tom in the village. 
It's like, but why are you doing here? And actually Tom, he says, maybe it's best if I move at the pub. And Matthew, I love this conversation. He says, well, you do not make it easier for them. Like some of them try, like Mary, she tries. Actually, the ones that do not try to welcome him are Robert and Carson. The others, like you see that they want to try, but it's difficult when the guy keeps talking about Ireland all the time and it makes him sound angry all the time. So obviously it doesn't seem like he's very nice and friendly and stuff. So you don't really want to talk to him if he's angry all the time. Uh, I like what Matthew says. We're brothers-in-law with high-minded wives. We better stick together. And that moment you have a nice friendship that is created and I love it. So the famous dinner with the Grey family. Larry is with Tom. And the guy, literally the guy opened his mouth and you're already like, oh, I don't like you. I can tell you, he is part of the characters that I hate. Like really, he's in my top three. I can't stand the guy, but not like I can't stand him like in a Richard Carlyle way or a Vera Bates way. No, I really, really, really can't stand him. I hate him. And actually, it's really interesting because he represents who Sybil would have married in a way if she has stayed at Downton and Branson is the one that she married. So you see that he's not really pleased to have been beaten by a chauffeur. Well, Sybil would have never married him because the guy is a jerk, but you know. I mean, the conversation is very, very funny because Branson is not stupid. But the other things like he's a bit stupid, like he, he really talks to him like he's better than him. You see it. Larry Gray, he says, Never thought we'd meet in person. As opposed to what? In spirit. Well, you see, to us, in marrying you, it seemed like Sybil had left Downton Abbey forever, if you know what I mean. I know exactly what you mean. Did they lose your suitcase on the way over? How maddening for you. No, my suitcase arrived safely, thank you, along with my manners. I love it because he keeps his temper. At that moment, Branson said, okay, I'm going to calm down. I'm going to breathe. And you see it that he is, because I think part of him just wants to punch the guy. The way he speaks to him, it's, oh, I hate it. And then Violet, she sees him, he still has his suit because, you know, he didn't change because he doesn't have tails. Violet's like, oh, he's still dressed like the man of the Prudential, I see. <laughs> Isabel obviously like, oh, well, it's nice to have someone from the real world, you know. She has to disagree with Violet, like she has to. And I just love uh, one thing that Violet says when Robert comes to say, oh, Mama, can I tempt you one of these cocktails? Violet, she says, I don't think so. They look too exciting for so early in the evening, don't you think so, Klaus? Better avoided, my lady. Well, better avoided, my lady. That's what Carson said. Well, maybe Tom should have avoided the cocktails. But then in the kitchen, Alfred says to Daisy and Miss Papmoche, Mr. Branson, he's acting really weird and he's only had one cocktail. <laughs> like when Daisy said, well, maybe he drank before to calm his nerves. And so at dinner, you see that it feels like he's drunk. And he talks about Ireland, really like almost shouting. And you see that. I mean, Sybil's like, well, you don't need to wear everyone out. Like, it's like, oh, why? Because I'm not polite enough. Like, and I just saw what Violet says. Is there any way to shut him up? But then, you know, at a moment, Mary, she realized that Larry, he's laughing. So what's funny? And then Stratton, because Anthony Stratton is here. He says, it's you, you put something in his drink because he saw him put something. He wasn't really sure, but he saw something. Like he thought that Larry put something in Tom's drink. And he's like, well, I don't know what you mean. And Mary's like, oh, it's true. Like, well, maybe, you know, I don't want to have a joke. And when Edith's like, well, that's horrible. And he's like, oh, you know, Edith, I mean, you could always take a joke. Like, but this is not funny. Like no one is laughing except you. So not funny. 
And so Mary, she says to everyone that Mr. Gray has put something in his drink. And <laughs> like when Mary says, could it be drink? She's like, no, some horrible people had something. And Robert, he says, which means that's all we need. I didn't even had to translate that because Julian did it for me in the script book. So thank you, Julian. And actually, there were lines I would cut. I thought were quite interesting. Cora, she asks Larry, but why would you do that, Mr. Gray? And he answers her, well, I'm sorry, Lady Gwentham, but the last time I was here, you had the sense of humor. The guy is so insolent. Like, do you know who you're talking to? But like, please. I mean, when I read, I was like, really? Are you, are you kidding me? And then Cora, she says, Tom has been the victim of a cruel prank, which I know you will all be kind enough to forget. Forgive? Perhaps. Forget? Never. And then Larry, he literally insults Tom. And I love that scene because at the same moment, the moment he says those things, Robert, Lord Merton and Matthew, they stand up at once. There's all the men around the table, but they're the ones that stand up. And I love it. And I love Lord Merton. Like, this is the first time we see him. We're going to see him again. Bananas. But I love his character. I really love him. And he is so ashamed by his son's behavior. And he apologizes to Tom. He says, I hope you recover for the wedding. But I love the fact that Robert and Matthew, they stood up too. They're like, what the hell? Because Robert, I think he stands up just because it's his house. And like, and Tom is like, you are insulting my baby's husband, okay? Shut up. And, you know, he hates people that insult you. Every time someone says insult, he's uh, not happy about it. And then Matthew, he says, well, I hope he will recover because I want him to be my best man. It's actually in the story. His best man, it was taken ill. So he needs to find someone else. And he says that he wants Tom to be his best man. But the moment you see Robert, he's starting to, you know, he wants to sit again. And when Matthew says, he's like, what? Well, no, because Isabel, she's happy. Sybil, she's happy. Mary, she's happy. And Tom is like, are you really sure? And I love what Matthew says. I've told you before, if we're mad enough to take on the Crawley girls, we have to stick together. Yay. I mean, Matthew, he saved the day. And then Tom is at Crawley House. He has been invited by Isabel and Isabel and Violet. Are here. And at first, when Tom arrives, he says that he wants to apologize for his behavior. And he's like, we know it wasn't your fault, it's okay. And I like the fact that he wants to apologize. Like, really, it shows that he's really a nice man, you know, not like Larry Gray. And <laughs> like what Vyas says, You weren't the first drunk in that dining room, I can assure you. Only the first Republican. Well, you've got me there. I love it. And every time I hear things like that, I want to see scenes of people drunk in this dining room. That's why we need a prequel. So they went through Matthew's clothes to find some of his old morning coat so that Tom can wear it at the wedding. And I was like, well, no, it's nice of you, but you know, for me, these costumes, it's, I see them as a sign of oppression and I should be uncomfortable wearing it. And then when Violet says, are you quite finished? I have. Good. And so he doesn't have anything to say. And I love the fact that Isabel, at first, she she was okay for him not having a, ta- a set of stairs or stuff like that. But now she also agrees that if he has to be the best man, he has to wear something that the best man should wear. So a morning coat. At that moment, she's like, you know, I can't fight it. You're the best man. So, you know, you, sh- you can't be dressed just with your, like, usual coat. And Matthew comes and says, what are you doing? Tom is like, they're forcing me to morning coat. And he's like, what? He has no say in it. No, he doesn't, and nor do you. Oh, I love it. Like, their faces, like, Matthew's like, okay. 
And then at dinner, when Martha is here, the big question is who sent the money to Tom and Sybil? And so it wasn't Robert, it wasn't Cora. They thought it might be Isabel. And Violet's like, oh, for heaven's sake, it was me. And they were like, what? And she says she asked uh, her lady's maid to write the letter. And like when she says, no, like all ladies' maid, she leaves for intrigue. And Tom, he's really shy. He's like, you want me to come? And another one, she says, I wanted Sybil and her husband to be here for Mary's wedding. And so while well, Tom is really touched, like, because I think he never expected, I think the one he expected the least would be Violet, you know, to be friendly with him and Robert, but, but Violet, you're like, okay. And I like when she says, You're a member of the family now. You'll find we Crawleys stick together. And well, then you have, there's trouble with Mary and Matthew, but we talk about that, we talk about these two. But then in the end, thanks to Tom, Mary and Matthew are getting married. And so on the wedding day, Robert and Tom, they talk together. He said, well, you look pretty smart, you know, with your morning coat. But he thanks him. He did thank you for well, saving the day. And so Tom, he says, well, I'm, I'm sure we will have plenty of slamming doors. And, you know, then we argue a lot. And at first Robert wants to say something like, oh, my God, what are you saying? And he says, well, I mean, yeah, you have the right to speak as you did. When Tom says, I hope you really mean that. I say, yes, I do. Like, this is... The beginning of, you know, of Robert trying to really accept Tom as his son-in-law. And I thought it was really a sweet scene. And then actually at church, Matthew and Tom, they thank Mosley for the morning code because Mosley is the one that made it to Tom. But he looks very really smart. I love those costumes. The wedding costumes. Men, well, obviously the women's dresses are always, whoa. But the men outfits for the wedding, I love it. So, we talked about Tom and a bit of Sybil. Let's talk about the second daughter, Edith. Because Edith, she bumps into Stralen in the village. He's in his car and she gets in his car uninvited. Like, you see him like, oh, uh, okay, you're in the car. Okay, uh, nice. And they talk about the wedding. And so he asks her, is Sybil coming? Is your grandmother coming? And he says, well, you know, weddings um, reminds you of one's loneliness or something like that. So, but forget, I don't know why I said that. Then, you know, they try, like, uh, you see how they are is with each other, like, you know, blind. He really likes her, and she really likes him. And I think he, sometimes he's not really comfortable with her, but he, he doesn't want her to like him, because, well, he, he said, that, you know, I'm far too old for you. And then we have a scene where Anna is with Edith, and Edith, she tried a new hairstyle. And she even says, you know, it's, it's different, but not too different. And so we see if Strand we notice it. And, well, he does. They're together, and she even invites him to the wedding. Isabel asks him, are you going to the wedding? And he's like, well, of course. And she's like, well, if you want me to come, yes, okay, I will come. But he notices that she changed her hair. He's like, have you done something jolly with your hair? And I said it before when Bates noticed that, and I did something to her hair. But really, I mean, it makes me really sad because... I have nothing against him. It's just I think he's not right for Edith. Like she deserves more than an old man that has no use of his right arm. But you see that he really, really likes her because he realized that she changed her hair. This is a signal. And I feel sad for Edith because she even said to Anna, you know, you all think he's too old for me, but he's not. And I said last episode, but, you know, he calls her lovely. He's really interested in her. So she's like, I'm going to marry him because... She has never known that in her life. And this is really sad. But then he says the day at dinner too, because he's the one who saw 
that Larry Grip put something in Tom's drink, so he kind of saved the day. And that's what she says to him at the end. She says, you know, you saved the day, and she really wants to see more of him. She tells him that. You see that at first he doesn't want to because he feels he's too old for her, like he said it to her last episode, but she, she doesn't want to listen to him. Like she, I think she thinks she's in love with him. She even kisses his cheek before he's leaving. So you see that she really, she's really attached to him. And then at the wedding, so he's here because she asked him to come. And she wants him to be at the front with the family. And he's like, but I can't because it's for family. So, but you almost are. Like <laughs> every time he sees a bit like surprised by her every day. Like I think he doesn't want to be with her because he feels like she can have better than him. But at the same time, he really likes her. So it's quite complicated, but it's definitely not the end of Edith and Anthony Strelland. Bananas. But then let's talk about Cora's mother, Martha Levinson. Because if she isn't an icon, I don't know what an icon is. The first time we hear them talk about her, it's when Edith is with Trallon in his car. He asks her if her grandmother is coming from New York. And at dinner, again, they say, when, when will she arrive? And this is probably one of my favorite Violet's lines, truly. Violet, she says, I'm so looking forward to seeing your mother again. When I'm with her, I'm reminded of the virtues of the English. But isn't she American? Exactly. I just love Matthew's face. Like, I, oh, okay. <laughs> and then when Cora, she's with Robert in the library, you know, where they're talking about the money and stuff. Robert says, well, thank God your mother missed tonight's drama. You know, the drama was with Branson being a bit drunk because of Larry Gray. And I like what she says. Don't worry, she'll bring enough drama of her own. I love how they prepare us to see her. Like you have this idea and you're like, okay. Like you see that she is something. You already feel the icon vibes just when they talk about her. And then when Violet is at Isabel, you know, when they ask Branson to come, before he arrives, they talk about Martha. And Violet says, well, are you coming to the house to welcome the Queen of Sheba? I just love how she says it. And Isabel says, you will not come. It's like, no, I pay homage at dinner. I like what Isabel says. I've always admired the way Mrs. Levinson is never overawed by the whole setup at Downton. Was Napoleon overawed by the Bourbons? I had a question. Like, Martha says that she wasn't here since before the war. You feel like she never met Matthew and Isabel. So how Isabel knows that she's not, like, impressed by how it is at Downton? Maybe it's because they talked to her about it, but I thought it was quite weird the way she said, she said it. But anyway, and then they actually, in the deleted part of this scene, they talk about the name, Levinson. Because they talk about, but is she Jewish? Because her name is Levinson. And Violet says, oh no, her husband was Jewish, but she wasn't. And the children were brought up as Episcopalians. And Isabel says, I suspect the late Mr. Levinson's allowing his children to be Protestant is a clue as to the prejudice he faced on Wall Street. Violet answers, probably. And I love Isabel, who then says, well, I'm glad if you raised no objections when Robert brought Cora to meet you. Bravo. And Violet answers, she was American. That was quite enough to be going on with. I'm quite sad that this was cut because, yeah, it was just an explanation of where Cora come from. Because now we know that her father was Jewish, but she is not and her mother is not. So, yeah, I'm quite sad about that it was cut, but anyway. And then, well, Martha arrives. But, like, her arrival, you see, it's a big thing because all the servants are here. Like, even the car, it's so shiny. Like, 
and she arrives and just you see like the hair like flaming red hair and red lipstick and how she's dressed like you see this is another word like she's literally coming from another word and Shirley MacLaine is just so incredible like oh my god I love Martha and so she arrives and she says come war and peace downton still stands and the crawlies are still in it this is an entrance and I love how you know she arrives and you know she says things to all of her granddaughters and they're all like <sighs> you see Cora and Robert look at each other like Cora is like keep smiling it's your mother you don't see her a lot maybe there's a reason why <laughs> love it and I love how she actually says hello to Carson and Mrs. Hughes. Oh, Carson and Mrs. Hughes, the world has moved on since last we met. And Carson saying, and we have moved on with it. I love it. I love it. And she has her maid, Reed. She's in the seventh hall and she tells Mrs. Patmore Martha's requirement during her stay. But like her requirements, like she only drinks boiled water in England. She needs goat's milk. No fat, no crab nothing from the marrow family like like okay this is literally it feels like she's a diva but that's why we love her and the family they're together in the library with martha she is meeting matthew and she's like you're related to this family but like how like can you explain because it seems weird to me and then she talks to sybil and brent like, no it says oh so you're the journalist no I'll, i've heard about all this these journeys from my side like the love things like that happened in America. And she's like, but it's nice to see that things like this can happen here, you know. It feels almost like she says that because she's with them and Robert is next to her. It feels like she's she's saying it just to again twist the knife because Robert is here because she might understand that he's not very pleased about Sybil marrying Tom. And so it feels like she almost said, like, oh it's nice to see that, you know, like England can can change a bit, you know. <laughs> I love it. And then we have the meeting between Martha and Violet. Martha, she hugs Violet. And you see Violet, she's like, what is she doing? What is she doing? Oh, and then, well, they talk and stuff and say, well, where is Matthew? And Violet's well, we won't see him tonight because the groom never sees the bride before the wedding. And Martha's like, oh, okay, you never change. Revolutions erupt and monarchies crash to the ground and the groom still cannot see the bride before the wedding. You Americans never understand the importance of tradition. Yes, we do. We just don't give it power over us. History and tradition took Europe into a world war. Maybe you should think about letting go of its hand. And Edith, she sees that and she comes to Violet. Oh, so you said hello to Grandmama. And Violet, she says, She is like a homing pigeon. She finds our underbelly every time. Oh, I love it. This is, oh, this is such, such a great duo. Like, oh, love it. And so at dinner, you have the question, who sent the money to Sibyl and Branson? And so then Violet says it was her. And Martha, she says, How democratic. Makes me think maybe I've been mistaken in you. I'm a woman of many parts. I know, because Robert is between these two. <laughs> like... He's always between, like, usually it's between Isabel and Violet, now it's Martha and Violet, and I love it. And it actually made, makes me think about what Hugh once said. He actually said that this was a pinch-me moment. But once he said that Shirley MacLaine was his celebrity crush when he was younger, and the person who interviewed him asked him if he told her, and he said no. 
<laughs> I thought it was really funny. It makes me think about Jonathan Zakai, who plays Edouard de Montmirail in That's a New Era, who said that Elizabeth McGovern was his celebrity crush when he was younger. I thought it was quite funny. Anyway. And then at the wedding, Violet and Martha, they're next to each other. But I love it because it's two different styles who represents two different words. You see them. It's completely the opposite. And actually, the guy sitting next to Martha, you see he keeps looking at her like, what is that? Like there's big feathers. <laughs> it's like, okay. You don't even need to hear him talking. You see how different they are. The two of them together, like, okay. And it's even weird to say that they have the same age, but you feel when you see them, the Violet is much, much older than Martha. It's just, yeah, two icons, two queens, like, oh, just love it. But then let's talk about Mary and Matthew. Finally, you know, because they're the one getting married. But there's still a bit of angst because, you know, it's Downton Abbey. First, he says that he doesn't want to live at Downton yet. He says, it's a great house. I want it to be my home too, but not yet. I want us to learn to know each other. He even says that he wants a simpler life. And so apparently they will stay at Downton when they're back from the honeymoon and then they will go and find where they want to live. And Matthew says, Though I doubt I'll get used to taking you to bed with your father watching. He's so relieved we're getting married. He wouldn't mind if you carried me up naked. Careful, I might try it. And so that's when, um, you know, Matthew is with Mosley and Mosley thought that it would be Matthew's valet. Matthew's like, no, I want to live a simpler life. And, you know, you're essential to mother, you, uh, butler. So, you know. But you see that Mosley, he's a bit disappointed because he thought he was going to be a valet in a big house. And Matthew just tells him, I don't want a valet and I don't want to live at the big house. So double disappointment. <laughs> and Matthew, he says to Mary that Mr. Squire's lawyer is coming. So the lawyer of Lavinia's father that died, you know, last episode. And he's like, but why, why is he coming? I mean, and she says, well, if he's coming here, that means he left you something. She say, no, that's, that's stupid. Why, why would he left me something? But then just before leaving, he asks her if she's looking forward to the wedding. And she's like, well, what do you think? And he says, I'm looking forward to all sorts of things. I love this, you know, these double and dangerous lines because we do have a lot. <laughs> I really love it. And then, so he's at Crowley House with his mother and the lawyer of Mr. Suarez came. And apparently when Lavinia died, he made a new will and Matthew is one of the heir of this will. And there's three heir, he's the third, but the first one died before uh, Reggie Swire. And the second one, they can't find him. So if they can't find him or if the guy is dead, or I don't know, Matthew will inherit. And apparently it's a lot of money. And he talks about it with Mary. But he says that, well, you know, they will find the guy, so there's no point of taking what he would do with the money because I can't keep it. Because, you know, he was dishonorable and, you know, Lavinia, all that, we know. And then when Matthew is going home, you know, the day before the wedding, so he's with Mary and at first Cora is here. I just love when Cora says, the way she says to Matthew, get a good night's sleep. The way she says it, like, oh. It almost feels like there's double intenders in her line. Like, I just love the way she says it. I think it's very funny. Then they talk about this situation about, you know, uh, being Swire's heir and stuff. So apparently, so the other heir died. But then the question is, did he die before Reggie Swire's or after? Because if he died before, then Ma Matthew inherits. If he died after, it's his heirs that inherits. And Mary, she says, well, maybe you would keep it because you see Papa lost the great deal of money so 
what you will inherit from Mr. Swire, you can put it in the estate. And Matthew's like, well, no, I, I mean, I'm really sad for your father, but no, I can't do that. I can't profit from Lavinia's death. And Mary, she's very, very, very angry at him. I said, so you won't save us. And so really they argue because Matthew's like, I can't keep this money. I can't do anything with this money. Okay. I don't want it. But Mary is like, but we will lose Downton. And Mary, she has always pictured herself as the next Countess of Grantham living in Downton Abbey having her son being the next Earl of Grantham. So for her, it's like, at that moment, he doesn't want to help them. And she says to him, It means that you're not on our side, Matthew. It means that deep down you're not on our side. And to take her defense a bit, I think at that moment, where, like I said, she has always pictured herself as the next Countess of Grantham. But I think what troubles her the most is that he wouldn't save her father. Because now we don't know if he's going to have the money or not. But I think she's even more sad for her father because he is the one that lost the money so he's the one who will live in shame and ruin right you know and i think a part of her is really is more mad at him because he doesn't want to save her father so i can give her that but you know and you know and matthew he's very very stubborn with his story with lavinia so there's a moment you're like oh. i mean they almost didn't get married because of that so you know and so with all this actually when they argue they argue in the hall and Edith, she heard it. And then at dinner, when Violet says, you know, uh, to Tom, uh, we probably stick together, Mary says, well, not always. And you see, she's very sad. She cries. She leaves. And Cora, she's very worried. She's like, what happened? And actually, Cora says, it's nerves. Everyone cries at some point before their wedding. Again, we need a prequel to see, like, Cora crying before her wedding. Like, why? And maybe Violet crying before her wedding. Like, why? I want prequels, okay? And then Edith, she tells him what she heard. And she said, well, she accused Matthew to not being on her side. And at first, Robert says, well, I will talk to him. And Tom says, no, I should go. You know, I'm, I'm his best man, so I should go. And even says, and I know what it feels like to marry into this family. He said, I, I'm not comparing myself to Mr. Matthew, but he's also another kind of an outsider, so I should go. And at first, Robert's like, ooh, like he's like, no, you're not. And Martha says, well, you know, why don't let him go? You know, he's the one who's going to lose his job if the wedding's cancelled, so let him try. And then Mary, she's with Anna, and she's really sad and say, well, don't you see? Like, he, he's only thinking about himself. Like, Mary, she's really sad. But I love what Anna says. I think it's probably one of my favourite lines of her. I absolutely love what she says. What I say is a good man, my lady, and they're not like buses. There won't be another one along in ten minutes' time. While Mary talks with Anna, Tom, he's with Matthew. I love it because that moment, I absolutely love Tom at that moment. At that moment, you have like the beginning of this bromance, Matthew and Tom, and I absolutely love it. Tom, he says to him, What you're meant to be together. I've known that as long as I've been at the house. And at first this kept you apart, and then that kept you apart. But please don't risk it a third time. Because I'll tell you this, you won't be happy with anyone else while Lady Mary walks the earth. Call her Mary, please. Never mind what I call her. I know what I'll call you if you let this chance slip through your fingers. Tom, thank you. Tom, it's us, you know. Tom, at that moment, he represents us. The, you're meant to be together. You'll never be happy as, with anyone else while Lady Mary walks the earth. Like, it's us. So thank you, Tom. And Matthew, he comes to see Mary. He knocks on her door, but she doesn't want to talk to him. And plus, it would be bad luck to see her before the wedding. But first, as you know, I've been thinking, you know, we keep arguing about things and 
maybe it's best if you just if we just call off the wedding. And he says no, and he says to her, It's because of something Tom said, that I would never be happy with anyone else as long as you walk the earth. Which is true, and I think you feel the same about me. And we agree with Matthew. We know, like, yes, she feels the same way about him. We know it. So they're meant to be, I mean, they need to get married, okay? And then Matthew, he asks her if he can kiss her. He says, well, you can't look at me. It's bad luck, you know, to look at me. So well, maybe if I close my eyes and you do too. And I thought this scene is really sweet. So he comes into her room with his eyes closed and they kiss with their eyes closed. But she opens her eyes. It's really interesting because Julian, he didn't write the opening of the eyes. He didn't write her opening her eyes. He even made a comment about it. He said, I didn't write that, but they decided to do it when they shot the scene. And well, they say it might be bad luck. Bananas. In the end, it's wedding day and they're getting married. And the girls are in Mary's room. And this scene, oh my God. Cora, you see like she, she asks Mary, say, you would ask you know, if there's something you want to know, but I'm sure you know. And you're like, well, first, I think her generation knows more than what Cora knew back then. And then, well, you know what, there was the Pamuk situation, even if that might not be the best, the more pleasant first experience. I mean, I just love how Cora, she, like, she wants to tell her, but she, like, she's a bit not comfortable. But then she says, I think this is her most iconic line ever. Because when two people love each other, you understand everything is the most terrific fun. And I just love how she says that. And you have Sybil being like, what is she going to say? And when she say, you know, the most terrific fun, she's like, Okay, like they were like, Who, what was she going to say? Oh my god, I love it. I mean, the terrific fun, like, yeah, I mean, Cora, we said that Cora was the queen of double intenders, but you know, oh my god, I love this scene. And I love Sybil, she's very sweet, even Edith. Okay, it's Edith, but as she, as she thinks that she's nice at that moment, and Cora, she's like, My beautiful daughter, like, oh, she's so sweet, they're all so happy they get married. We are happy too. Oh, and then one of my favorite scenes of the show. It's when Mary comes down the stairs and first when she comes down, I mean, she is absolutely magnificent. Like it feels like it's a painting when she's on the stairs with her dress. It's so beautiful. You have Carson and Robert waiting at the end of the stairs and looking at her with literally hearts in their eyes. And they're so moved. Like you can even see tears in Robert's eyes. Like he saw two fathers looking at her and they look so proud. I love this scene. And Mary says, Well, I do, Carson. Very nicely, my lady. I think this scene is just, oh, yeah, that's, I have no vocabulary, so I love it. And then she's with Robert and she's well, you got me worried. You know, I thought, you know, we had to cut off the wedding. Um, but then he asked her, but you happy? And she says, yes. And she asks him, what about you? He says, I'm so happy, so very happy. I feel my chest will explode. Well, Robert, you know, you should not say things like that, bananas. Apart from that, you look how proud he is. Like, he's just, you know, then they arrive at the church and he's so proud to walk her down the aisle. Like, oh, I love it. And he's so proud to walk her down the aisle so she could marry Matthew. Like, and the, the costume, her dress is so beautiful. Like, she looks so beautiful. And the men are saying again, but they look so good in these costumes. Like, oh, I love it. And Mary has arrived. She's next to Matthew. And he says, You came, to be honest. 
honest, I wasn't completely sure you would. I'm glad to hear it. I should hate to be predictable. I love it. You know what? I love it. This is great. This is such a nice way to end this episode. And it's such them too. Then, you know, when she says that, they laugh. I love it. This is so perfect. A nice ending for an episode. Just so good. And we're so happy because they're finally married. Like, yay. Oh, yeah. I love this when she says, I should hate to be predictable. This is such a violent thing to say. I love it. They're all so happy. You know, you see them. It's, I love it. I'm happy. I'm really happy that they're married because... Like I said last episode, even if Mary and Matthew are not our favorite characters or if, you know, they're not our favorite ship, we wanted them to get married because there's a moment we're like, okay, please. <laughs> like, they're meant to be together. And so about my music of the day, I want to wait until the end of this episode because it kind of works for, it's not just for Mary and Matthew, it works for Corinne Roberts and Bates and Anna too, actually, I think. But first, when I listened to it, I thought about Corinne Roberts. But I thought it was a good way to end this episode because we ended with Mary and Matthew getting married and it works for other relationships. It's not Taylor Swift. Yeah, you know, it's not Taylor Swift because sometimes I listen to something else in Taylor Swift and actually it's from Ed Sheeran because recently I've been listening to Ed Sheeran again because I'm going to see his concert in Paris. Actually, when this episode will be out, I would have already seen the concert. But anyway, and when I listened to this song, I really, really thought about Cobert. I thought about this episode. And I actually thought, yeah, about it works well with Matthew and Mary and uh, Bates and Anna too. And before putting you the clip that I have for you, I just wanted to read you like the first lyrics you have on the song. This is actually the reason that made me think about Cobert. I'm not going to sing because I'm not a good singer. So it's best if I do not try to sing. But the song opens with, she is the sweetest thing that I know. Should see the way she holds me when the lights go low. Shakes my soul like a pothole every time. Took my heart upon a one-way trip. Guess she went wandering off with it. Not like most women I know, this one will bring it back whole. Well, I found love in inside The arms of a woman I love She is the lighthouse in the night That will safely guide me And I'm not scared of passing over or the thought of going on Cause from now until I go Every night I'll kiss you You'll say in my ear Oh, we're in love, aren't we? Hands in your head Fingers and thumbs, baby I feel safe when you're holding me near Love the way that you conquer your fear you know hearts don't break around here Oh yeah, yeah Every night I'll kiss you You'll say in my ear Oh, we're in love Aren't we hands in your hair? Fingers and thumbs, baby I feel safe when you're holding me near Love the way that you conquer your fear You know hearts don't break around here yeah, yeah, yeah You know hearts don't break around Oh, yeah, 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 yeah So that was Hearts Don't Break Around Here by Ed Sheeran. And yeah, I thought it would wear so first Corinne Roberts because in this song you realize that you have, like there's one that always tries to reassure the other 
And so Cora is the one reassuring Robert, you know, when he says, um, I feel safe when you're holding me near. So I thought about that. And I thought about Bates and Anna, because she's also reassuring him when he asks her, do you never doubt? And she says, no. And I thought it was really sweet. And in Mary and Matthew, I think Matthew is maybe the one reassuring, because he's the one that says to Mary, no, we should not call off the wedding, because yes, we're going to argue. We're going to argue about lots of things. But I love you. You love me. So we should be together. And he says, oh, we're in love, aren't we? Like, I don't know, but it makes me think about COVID first, but like, I think it works for other relationships too. And I want to end it on a really uh, positive and nice note. You know, hearts don't break around here. Like, yay, we try to stay positive because like I said, we are going to face hard times, you know, in a couple of episodes. So I try to stay positive and on a happy note when I can. (laughs) So that's it for this episode. I hope you liked it. Like usual, if you want to chat with me, you can send me a message anywhere you want. But yeah, I hope you're happy. I mean, they're finally married. <laughs> that was something. Mary is settled. That's that's it. Okay, now we have, we just have Edith now, actually, who's not married. So maybe soon. But yeah, so I will see you next Sunday to talk about episode two of season three of Downton Abbey. Until then, stay safe, take care of yourself, stay hydrated, and don't forget... Vive la différence